You must be like the Wolf Pack, not like Six Pack. Teamwork. Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of There's No I in Podcast, a podcast about teams. Uh, it's a podcast about being in teams, about leading teams, and generally about getting the most out of your teams. My name is Mark Johnson. I am a performance maker and a performance teacher, and I am joined today and every day by uh, my co-worker in, and office mate in our shared workplace, uh, sports coach and head of co-curricular and sport where we work, Sean Gallagher. Hello, Sean. Hello, Mark. How's it going? It's, it's all right this week. It's been, it felt like it's been a bit of a slog this week. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we are the people that get to have uh, holidays um, fairly regularly. Um Every six weeks, I guess, to be <laughs> precise. Um, and we are coming towards that that light, so to speak. Um, yes. And so maybe, yeah, so maybe why why it's feeling a slight slog. But uh, yeah, one week to go and then, then a week off to reset and refresh. I think there um, is another reason as well. Um, the listeners would be interested to know I've got myself a new personal trainer. Uh <laughs> His name is Sean Gallagher, and a couple of times a week, he he bullies me into doing sit-ups. And uh, we did some yesterday. During the weekend, he's taking time out of his weekends to do it for myself and for a couple of our work colleagues. And it's brutal. Exercise is horrible. But how how revitalized and energized do you feel the day after or the day after that, Mark? I don't feel revitalized and energized at all at the moment. I feel I feel like I've been mugged by someone trying to make me healthy. Uh, (laughs) I can imagine I will get better, though. And I am grateful to Sean for for keeping keeping myself and everyone we work with fit and healthy. No, it's it's great for me. Um, it's given me kind of some motivation as well to get it done. Um, so no, really, really good. Uh, it's really good spirit uh, within the camp. Um, and I wanted to ask a question camp. about that actually, because yeah. we are like we we are doing it as a group, and like it does feel slightly different. I wanted your input on like why you think that training with other people or that. You know, even when it is kind of individual exercise, and we're doing it in our own rooms, and we're doing it at our own pace. But like, why does it work? Um, I think it goes back to sort of being in a in a great team, um, in kind of business or in education or whatever it may be. It's the fact that if you have a common goal, and you have people that are kind of bought into that for their own kind of intrinsic reasons. Um, then I think you can do a lot of good stuff. And I just think that everyone will have their own kind of goals and fitness goals and, and stuff that they want to achieve over this lockdown. And that will be different for everyone. And we've seen that it's different for everyone in yeah. terms of kilometers, how much activity they're doing. But there is that accountability element of, of being in there with a group when you all have a common goal, which is to try and, and keep moving, keep active. Um, and I think that when you, you drill down into that, into that kind of purpose, then I think good things can happen. Um, and yeah, I think you have I, to communicate that really clearly to people at the start. I think I am feeling as a result that sense of uh, competitiveness 
rather than competition. Like I'm not against other people, but I'm using them working hard to drive me to work a little bit harder. And that's uh, like, that works for me, actually. I feel like I, I like to play that game. It's a good mental game in terms of keeping yourself honest. Absolutely. That was going to literally be the word. Uh, that was going to be the phrase I used, like it keeps you honest. Um, uh, yeah. And I think, um, you know, although we are starting to get kind of a little bit more light uh, every two minutes a day, I think, or roughly yeah. around that, um, you know, when it is a bit dreary and it is a bit dark uh, of an evening and you've just seen someone's done some activity and they kind of got it done, uh, you do have to have that conversation in your head and go, do I or don't I? And I think more often than not for me anyway, it means I go and do it because it's like, well, if someone else can do it and I know that person, I know what they're like, I know what they're capable of. If they can go out for a half an hour walk or they can go for a 5K run, then so can I. Mm. Um, and I think it, it makes it realistic rather than when you're on social media and you see someone with a six pack and who looks absolutely unreal and they're doing things and you kind of go, oh, I'm so far away. You don't get a sense of what they've done to get there or... Exactly. Uh, you know how much how much time or effort they're actually putting in. Um, there's loads of there's loads of sport uh, going on this week and tonight. We're talking on the Sunday of the Super Bowl, so uh, chances are we will both be um, savagely tired for work tomorrow. Um, but before we talk a little bit about kind of sports and teams and that that kind of stuff, um, and before we get on to our guest, we've got a great one today. Uh, I wanted to uh, ask you about connection. Yes. Well, we uh, we we are all virtually trying to connect at the moment, aren't we? Um, and it's really interesting because I think in, in an isolating time, it's very easy to isolate yourself. Um, and I think, again, you have to have that kind of conversation in your head as to make the effort to connect or to really just isolate yourself from from other people and just kind of go about things your own way. And I think I don't think either of those options are, are, are right or wrong. Um, but I think for me, I am trying to consciously make an effort to connect with people, whether that be a phone call or a text or whether it be a workout or whether it be a Zoom call or a Teams call or whatever it may be. And again, I go back to the podcast, you know, every week we're getting the opportunity to meet someone new, whether we know them um, from previous or whether they're brand new to us. Um, you know, I think that will always helps as well but i do think that that connection is really really important and i think just as human beings we do need it um yeah. sometimes we need it less than, than than other times and when we have busy lives and stuff sometimes we try to to kind of push back away from from connection and yeah. community but i do think it's really really important um what, what's your take on it mark well we because we've been having this conversation this week off mic uh that we've not really got into properly about um, again, I think this came from one of your books from the the power of ritual uh, kind of the need that we have as humans to congregate and connect and the important kind of value that that has in just a general kind of individual operating like I'm better on my own when I have a sense of connection to others that without without maintaining or doing some work on that relationship uh, or set of relationships we're actually putting ourselves kind of at odds with ourselves because we're, we're robbing um, ourselves of something that will kind of drive us and 
and I think it's you know it's 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 why I've been valuing kind of working with the five or six people that we're working with each each time we do the workouts, um, particularly because I don't have a, a connection in that area of of like life of of how I operate. I don't have a sports or an exercise connection. That's usually been a solo thing for me, and you know, just had me thinking this week about how maintaining gardening, those relationships has this huge knock on effect, not just, not just in terms of not feeling lonely, but not feeling like you're working alone. And that's, that seems like it's a big, it's a big deal as we, as we kind of get six or seven weeks into not being back at school. Yeah. I mean, it's weird. I'm sure, I'm sure the author, um, of of the of the book uh oh, is, that, is, that guy that guy whose name you struggled to pronounce yeah it's definitely casper <laughs> casper is his first name we'll go <laughs> we'll, we'll go with casper um no he must be a uh, loving life at the moment because i'm sure that book sales are going through the roof um you know when we're looking to gather and connect and we can't yeah. let's read a book about it obviously he uh he published the book before we we were in a global pandemic but you know silver linings um I, i'm sure the book is doing very well um but yeah I think, you know, I just want to break it down to its simplest form. Let's just talk about a grassroots football team for a second, because, you know, that's where I lived for a long time environmentally. Um, and, you know, even the people that just regularly play football with a bunch of people on a, on a Saturday or Sunday morning, not being able to do that is, is going to be a real, uh, like, negative yeah. impact on a lot of people you know especially a lot of guys in their 20s and 30s or girls in their 20s and 30s who that's kind of what they live off because you know maybe they don't open up as much maybe they don't get their aggression out maybe they don't get to celebrate in other ways within their workplace whatever it may be that's their way of expressing themselves um on a saturday or sunday morning on a Not everyone pitch. can be great british bake-off superstars can Ex exactly exactly you know me, me being one of them um <laughs> so so yeah so even if you just take it there you know hackney marshes saturday sunday morning you know is now empty uh, and those leagues and, and sport, team sport does a huge amount. And I've said this to you off mic before, Mark, you know, I'm not playing within a football team or, or anything like that. And I think now in lockdown, I'm kind of yearning that kind of group connection um, and having to kind of find it in different ways, like, like we've already, like we've already yeah. mentioned. And I think if anyone is listening to this and is responsible for one of those groups or leagues or youth groups or whatever, um, like it will become... I think absolutely critical that that the time and the effort is put back into them as soon as we can to make sure they survive, to make sure they uh, endure this because we are building up a practice of aloneness. We are building up, uh, we are strengthening the muscle of being isolated and we'll forget that there is the benefit and that there was the 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 power not just the happy sadness but the the power of collaboration that comes from being a part of those groups and the the social lessons that you learn you know how to interact with people how to be polite and respectful human beings that comes from being in a room with someone else and seeing when you're screwing that up I don't think you could have uh, put that any better Mark and I think that leads us nicely in terms of collaboration mm. onto uh, today's guest yeah so um we we threw it out there 
find us a recruitment expert, find us someone who builds teams. And uh, we got very, very lucky that we not only found a recruitment expert, but a recruitment and education expert. So they were able to speak to a lot of what we do. And even better than that, we found a recruitment expert who also runs a really quality podcast speaking to some incredible people about the field of education. So it's kind of a kind of a, a triple score on this one. Um, we will jump straight into it. Really, really excited to uh, introduce everyone to uh, TJ Jutler. So we are extremely excited and I've been angling uh, for this for a while to be joined by TJ Jutler. TJ is the managing director of a an educational recruitment company called Quality Teacher Supplies. Hello, TJ. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. And, and listeners to the podcast, they're probably bored of me saying, we need to get a, a recruiter and we need to get someone who puts teams together. No, we're really grateful for you to come on this very rainy at the moment, Saturday morning. I've given you so, like the briefest of introductions there. If you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and letting us know your journey and how you've got to where you are at this point. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Like I said, both Mark and Sean, obviously I've been following you on social media. So I was quite surprised you reached out and asked me to come on actually. It's really nice of you. <laughs> so yeah, my name's TJ, uh, TJ Jutler. I'm the managing director of Quality Teacher Supplies, aka QTS. We, we specialize in sort of long-term and permanent specialist recruitment. So yeah, very much going on a journey with teachers and, and schools on kind of their next part, like in terms of what they want in terms of their next part of their journey and, and the direction they're heading in. I started off leaving school, going to university because I thought it was the right thing to do and actually ended up in 40 grand debt with no relevance to where I ended up. So it's what I'm talking about in some respects on my podcast, actually, because I feel currently the education system is very much exam-centered and it's very much, it is very data input and very Ofsted pushed, isn't it? You tick yeah. boxes just to look good on, on league tables and Ofsted labels, you want to be good, outstanding or whatever. But and there's so much more to personal development and the emotional intelligence that like when I've become a manager and again, when I first became a manager, it was a, it was in my previous company, which I was at for five years. And I started off there as a training consultant and worked my way up to director. And when I first became manager, I think the thing that I, no one ever taught me was actually how important it is to treat people like individuals. Like for far too long, I think even when I was going through working up the ranks, people treated me like other people, they, they treat other people. And actually everyone works on such complete different modes motivations and and work on complete different intrinsic motivations which is absolutely key and i think one, one thing that schools just don't recognize sometimes is the intrinsic motivation that is in a child because mm. some children naturally come from deprived or disadvantaged backgrounds and actually those traumas that they may have gone through would cause them to react and act in different ways to maybe other children that haven't gone through the same trauma and it's very it should be very student-centered so yeah, that's like what I've been talking about on the podcast. But ultimately, my journey's been going through the ranks as an originally as an estate agent, went into education recruitment when I was in sort of in, in 2015, in January 2015, and then worked my way up the ranks, became a manager, director, and then I decided to launch my own company. I think I was in a bit of a bad headspace at my previous company by the time I left, and I needed a fresh start. And I thought I was 28 at the time, and I thought, you know what, let me go for it. And I had it was crazy because I started off like with this idea that I'm going to have loads of people working for me, and I want 
on a really grow a massive office and mm. like, I want to become a multi-millionaire. <laughs> Actually, uh, what happened was COVID hit four months into the business and literally all the school shut down and actually all my business got wiped out so I had to really like I played a lot of Call of Duty over that period and actually reflected <laughs> and, and actually reflected on what's important to me so yeah. I, I but by the time we came back into September October I, I found my sort of enthusiasm back I started doing the podcast I met some amazing people like Dame Alison Peacock people with like Lord Jim Knight I've got people from all over the world like Japan China like Singapore, Bahrain, Denmark, Finland, Australia, and all over the UK. So I've learned so much. I mean, it's, yeah, it's been a pretty awesome experience to be fair. I mean, it's, it sounds like it. And trust uh, trust Mark and myself to get a uh, educational recruiter on who also has their own podcast. And we try <laughs> as much as we can to be outranked and, out, and outclassed by our guests. <laughs> <laughs> That is that's a, a fascinating story, and it ties into a lot of the stuff that that more in the intros and outros. I think Sean and I have spoken about that importance of understanding what actually matters when you're when you're making decisions at this particular time at the at the COVID crossroads. It is about reflecting on what actually matters, and I think that a lot of interesting stuff will come out of it for a bunch of people. And it, so- it sounds like it It was something of a crossroads, even after making the big decision, like the how that decision got played out was impacted so massively that you had to, that you had to really kind of refactor and ask yourself some pretty serious questions, I bet. Yeah, absolutely. I think... I think for, you know what, I don't know if you know who Simon Sinek is, but I, I, I follow him massively. He's, I think he's, he's the patron saint of podcasts and definitely <laughs> this one. We come back to him quite a lot. <laughs> but he's we awesome, right? I mean, he, he changes the whole perspective on things. Like, so I went through school and I was I was aspiring to, in some respects to my brother who had an estate agency when I was growing up and mm. he, he earned decent money in my head. Like I was, I did do paper round for £15 a week when I was 12 years old and that was me like buying clothes for myself and stuff. So yeah. when I got to 2021 and I, was, I became an estate agent, and it was like I wanted to earn loads of money. That was the, always the destination. And actually, when well, I watched something that Simon Sinek said he, 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 in his video, he said, "If your destination is money, you are truly screwed up. Money should only be the fuel, like for the destination of somewhere where you want to go. And if that's your destination, then where are you actually going?" And it made me reflect. And it's what is the purpose of what I'm trying to do? And I realised it's. What I'm trying to do now is far bigger than me and it's far bigger than education recruitment. It's actually trying to change education and, and give every child a chance to succeed. And that's like now become right. my purpose. And now if money comes with it, great, happy days. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But actually it's, it's far more fulfilling and I feel much more at peace in terms of what I'm doing. Yeah, it's uh, this whole last year has been a great time to reflect and actually decide who, what kind of person I want to be. And I think we should be asking children that in schools. We shouldn't necessarily be put pressure on them to choose a career by the time they're 16. I think it's very important to ask them, like who, what kind of person they want to be. And once they yeah. know that, I think it's far easier to find the kind of right career. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's an interesting there's an interesting practice called motivational maps, which you might talk about later on that I can point you towards that ha- has a schools program that does just that, that goes through that process. Before we get into the what do you want to be, it asks what drives you in a way that young people can answer and, and be fed back this kind of, you view it as this thing, but the reason why it's this thing, it, it suggests is something underneath. Simon Sinek, obviously, we're both big fans of, and obviously he's asking the why. And I think in education and with young people, if we can figure out their why, we're on the right track of, of figuring out what they actually want to do, what they're passionate about, what they're interested in, what are they actually 
you know, good at, what, what, what comes to light and what early on that they find interesting and then they can push on with that and maybe turn that into a career. So yeah, the why is super important. TJ, I think, do you think that you've maybe slightly separated yourself within the industry through that kind of passion for education and through having these podcasts and through actually wanting to speak to the educators themselves and deep dive into how they've been successful and what it and what education is for them and why they work with young people because obviously recruitment does have certain connotations sometimes around like you said about before we can make money and things like that and it's a numbers game and how many teachers can we get here or there do you think that your genuine passion is is separating you away in that industry it's a really good question. I think, in a nutshell, do I think it makes me different? Absolutely. I, only and 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 look, I'm I'm not trying to I'm not trying to sugarcoat it by any means. And the reason why I say that is because when every time I've been in, well in my previous recruitment company, I was there for five years, and in this I've spoken to many education recruiters, but it is very much a numbers game. It's all about kind of get ten candidates registered this week. We want four interviews, and one of them should turn into a placement. You're talking about a 25% conversion rate, and if they hit that, they hit 10 to 15 percent usually and mm. it's emotional motivation that goes on in finding a job and finding a candidate and actually what we should be doing is learning the candidate so well that it's going to be the right personality fit for the the school that you've learned so much about and my conversion rate is some somewhere like 74 percent since i've opened this company because i've gone on to like really work on actually trying to learn the people that i'm working with the education recruitment industry as a whole is i think it, it gets a really bad name there are some of us that really care about the industry and actually yeah. want to make a difference but there, there is this this big level of it's just a money game and it shouldn't be right education recruitment is public taxpayers money and for me like I, I genuinely feel for far too long like the industry hasn't been regulated because it should be like we, we've got like regulations on banking and whatever and for, I think when, when I hear some of the stories of education recruiters exploiting like how much they charge schools it's phenomenal and I genuinely believe that we need an industry that is regulated and in fact I don't know who REC are but REC are the Recruitment and Employment Confederation and when I first started this company, I, I became a member of them and got the accreditation because I wanted to show that I worked on good practice. Yeah. And I do work on good practice. I make sure I do all the compliance correctly. But in terms of what they actually bring to the table, it's like after you've done the compliance test, then it's not really actual support. They don't actually showcase that we're an accredited agent. If you're a, if you've got a bank, you're an FCA approved or whatever. Mm -hmm. There's no none of that in our, with REC. My, my question was, what actual what benefit is REC to the education sec recruitment sector? I had a had a word with them, and I had a word with one of their policy makers, and then I and then for me, like they couldn't really give me a d definitive answer that was going to show me why I should continue to be a member because there's so many agencies that do get away with murder. I'm telling you, I've seen it. Like they, they, some of these agencies exploit schools and absolutely we, we get that reputation for good reasons, but not all of us are like that. And I'm hoping that through this podcast, learning more, I've spoken to over 75 educators in the last three months on my podcast and and like we talk about talking that hours at a time. We talk about everything but recruitment. Like I've actually yeah. found out it's bonkers because in six, to, six, seven years that I've been doing recruitment, all I've ever spoken to schools about is recruitment. And actually I've learned more in the last three months than I have in like almost seven years. Does it set me apart from other education recruiters? I absolutely believe so because I'm actually know more about actual what's what is happening in education, what's important to kids, like what emotions they go through, like how to treat kids like as individuals and not the traditionalist view of what's going on in, in education, like the way that people feel about Ofsted, league tables. I know that because I've spent hours upon hours with educators, like speaking to them about what's important to them. And edu other education recruiters, unfortunately, just haven't taken the time to do that because it's perceived to be a waste of time because it's not 
immediate returns and money. And that, unfortunately, is going to be their downfall. I could obviously I could tell that from your posts and from your content and from following you, TJ. And I think that's why that's why I thought that you would be right for for our podcast and someone that we definitely wanted to speak about and to peel away the layers of, of recruitment and, and and understand it a little bit because for me there's a book called The Ideal Team Player. And it's a fictional story, but there to depict uh, real life situations. And basically there's a tech guy, his father gets ill, he has to take over his building company, doesn't have a clue about that industry, he has to put together a team, the team isn't working successfully, he needs to recruit others in. And there's loads of stuff in there around how do you choose those people to work with? How do you choose the right people? And I believe that the team sometimes starts before it's a team, right? It starts in the recruitment process. So whether that is in sport and you're doing talent ID and you're trying to find the best talent and you're asking those young people the right questions to bring them into your team or to your club organization, I feel like it's the exact same with with teachers. You need to bring the right people in that fit the culture of that school. And I'm sure we're going to delve into that a little bit more. But you said something about learning the candidate. That really spoke to me, that learning the candidate. What does that actually look like, TJ? If I come to you and I say, I'm, I'm looking for a job, I want to work in a really top school with a top culture uh, and really good leadership or, or vice versa. The head is looking for that person to come and fit their culture. How does that learning the candidate kind of work the process? Yeah, for sure. What I was always taught is ask them how far they're willing to travel, what they're looking for salary wise and in terms of offset, what rating they'd look at. And then, and actually I don't do any of that anymore. For me, in terms of a candidate, there is an emotional motivation when it goes into finding a job. And for whatever reason, they are leaving their previous role. And for me, it's about connecting with them on that emotion and actually understanding because it's all good, right? Someone saying good or outstanding, they're looking for a good or outstanding school, but actually why? Like it might be down to leadership or it might be down to behavior or whatever reason and actually it's about really understanding that because there might be some require improvement schools that have excellent behavior or or have great leadership but they just need like someone to come in and work hard with the school and it's about like making sure that the personality fits it's not just about ticking the boxes it's actually there's far more to every school and every person than just a cv or just an ofsted label and it's about making sure that those the head teacher and the candidate have the same vision of what education should be because mm. if, if some people naturally just dislike the whole multi-academy trust model because it's really some people say it's regimented they expect a lot and it's actually some multi-academy trusts are actually not like that so it's about overcoming these labels that people put on that unfortunately is is often created with the high stakes accountability that is within the education sector and so it's just about understanding the motivation understanding what is really important to them and actually what's going to be important for their career because it is a career right if you look ultimately if it's just a nine to five job for you and you're basically a teacher that's just in it for the holidays and the money i, I don't tend to work with <laughs> I mean, them anyway. we all <laughs> <laughs> but, but but people that say that i lose i lose interest anyway because I'm, I'm very selective in terms of the candidates I work with so I want someone that's motivated that wants to make a difference to children and then that way we, we connect on that level because we have conversations about actually where education is very much how, how I do on a podcast my phone calls that when I qualify a candidate last about half an hour 45 minutes because I, I, re, I go on a journey we talk about what's important in education for them and like where they really felt that the previous school wasn't just doing it or they might have been but in, like in in most cases the, the previous school wasn't giving them the right kind of platform 
platform to to go in yeah. Excel. Sometimes it's about that pro- progression, and some places just don't have that space for progression. Some people don't have that. Some environments don't have that culture of progression or somewhere yeah. to go. And particularly when people are motivated, and like you said, if you're talking about actual motivations, kind of intrinsic motivations, it becomes a clash point. Even if there's nothing wrong with the place, if that one thing isn't being fulfilled you need to move in some way and somewhere even if you love everything about the place you're at if it doesn't for that moment feel that motivation you have to start to reconsider your position don't you Absolutely. My, my sister, she's an assistant head teacher. And she, uh, when she first started a teaching career, she worked at a school in Havering called Hallmead School. She loved the school. Like she saw a form out and everything, but it was such a small school and there's no room for progression. And ultimately like she, she ended up getting offered a role as a key stage coordinator. And I remember she absolutely cried on that day. Like she, she left then the day on the last day, she absolutely cried because she was so heartbroken that she's leaving that school and leaving the kids and leaving the team. But ultimately she had to do it because she wanted to feel fulfilled because she yeah. was stagnating and like if you want to progress if you're motivated you really want to make a difference there's a level of a difference you can make in in a classroom of 30 kids but actually at senior level there's a whole le- you can make a difference to mul- like multiple classes at a time by the kind of strategies you implement and the things that you do yeah everyone's on their own journey but and it's about really understanding that when you're qualifying candidates yeah it's fascinating because we've talked we've talked to a bunch of different team makers and a bunch of different team leaders and and this kind of idea that that you're putting in place of recognizing the individuality, seeing where almost like the jigsaw puzzle piece can fit. Yes, it's slower. Yes, it's more in depth. And yeah, you're at risk of not necessarily winning the numbers game. But there's a, for you a satisfaction, for the candidate a satisfaction, and for the organisation a satisfaction. That means there's, the team is going to be robust. The team is going to uh, thrive rather than throwing a disruptor into a space or throwing someone who just doesn't fit at all. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I think it's very important to build systems to support your team anyway. I think one of the one of the things I've, I've found through my career is a very sink or swim in majority of places. Like leaders are dictators in, in some respects. I wouldn't really call them leaders. I'd, pe- I'd call them pe- people with in positions of power because they literally tell you what to do and they don't really actually get stuck in themselves. I've had leaders that do. I have. But ultimately it's a very generalized approach it's, it's the one size fits all kind of approach if you get, do it our way great if you don't then just leave yeah. and and actually like you can get some people that just don't have the same kind of qualities as another individual have qualities in a complete different way and sometimes i like to bring people in that have no experience in educate in what i do because they give a complete fresh perspective on what we do. And it's about always evolving and challenging ideas and like being innovative because like it's, it's survival of the fittest, isn't it? Like you're always evolving. And if you stop evolving, then you're going to get left behind. And it's important to always listen to your team, I think. De- definitely. TJ, do you work, do you have relationships with, you know, certain schools long term? So you build a picture of what they tend to like. Obviously, there are different roles that you'd be recruiting for within that same school. But do you get like a, a sense and a flavor of that culture? And do people come back to you for repeat business because you, yeah. you gave us the right candidate? And how much if, if that is the case, how much of that is built on that leadership team having a real understanding of what they want in their building. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, all, all 90, 90, 95% of my business is from repeat business, to be honest with you. And it's because 
I think, yeah, very much that. I remember when I first started this company, I, I used to work with a multi-academy trust and the, I used to work with the executive head teacher who was a head a teacher of four schools back then, but now eight within the trust. I used, to, I know we built a really good relationship. I went down and saw her and we I placed a science teacher. And then we went, I went down and met her and, and we had a really good conversation. And we'd done a few placements before I left that company uh, and my previous company. And, and then when I started the company, I remember I called her PA and I sent her an email and stuff and just saying, look, obviously I'd still really like to continue your business because I really like working with you and I love how much you actually care about kids and, and actually how much you care about your staff. And then she was very happy to use me. They've got a preferred supplier list within that federation and that multi-academy trust, which I'm not on. <laughs> she still uses me as a number one agent, which is great. <laughs> but <that's>, <laughs> yeah, but it's all about kind of understanding understanding what journey they're on as a school. And yeah, absolutely. Repeat business is absolutely key. I mean, I'd rather work with four schools, but actually service them properly than mm. just a mail shot the hell out of London like other agencies do because that's what they do I'm sure you get loads of emails at schools where you, from agencies like marketing loads of candidates and unless I've really got a relationship or I think someone's super hot I won't mail shot them but <laughs> ultimately for me it's all about the vacancies that I get from schools and then I work on them and I, well, I try that's, to find that's the right it people. isn't it you can either play the game of hoping that some kind of random candidate who fits a, gen a general bill will match who you're flinging it at and so in that respect <laughs> fling it in, a, in as many directions as possible or you yeah. can you could know where the where the gaps are and start going to hunt for those people in the knowledge that you know what someone is actually looking for so when it comes oh. down to it that in every one of these situations i guess they're going to interview five ten people or whatever it's not, about not, not doing it in the knowledge that you've got the one that they yeah. need yeah, you say they're going to interview that many people. It depends. I've got a relationship with that school. We don't only see my candidates first because she won't go through TES or whatever or advertise because she just trusts in my, my candidates that I send over. If I don't mm. have anyone, I'll tell her I don't have anyone and then she'll go out and advertise. But it's a very transparent relationship. But yeah, I think you're right. I think what agencies do is they fling out as much candidates and hit and hope. Whereas for me, it's, and that's because they get targeted, targets from their directors and stuff. They get targets of four interviews a week and one should turn into a placement. And actually, I just think it's such a waste of everybody's time if three people out of four interviews aren't getting the jobs. What the planning and the planning of the timetable between head teachers, head of departments, to try to actually arrange an interview and then three out of four not get it. What a waste of time, right? It's all about increasing conversion rates. So I've invested in new technology. Like we've got, because I don't believe a CV always demonstrates everything. So I've, I've invested not. in video technology that is going to make a simple process for schools shortlisting. I literally, I'll, click, I'll send them the link. It will have the video on the left and the, the CV on the right. And it literally just, it was, it, you should have an idea of who that person is before they come to the school yeah. without having to just base that off a CV. Like it's a very personal thing nowadays. People that have got first class honors don't necessarily make the best teachers. It's about the individual down to the T. So yeah, I think. And that thing in you. You can speak to this, I'm sure, till you're long in the tooth. Like I've never put in an application form or a CV that hasn't focused solely on my good qualities and chosen words specifically to make the stuff I'm weaker at sound like a little better at it. Like CV, CVs are a, a CVs are a lie. <laughs> 
<laughs> How many people actually read the personal profile or actually write their own personal profile? It's very generic, isn't it? I'm a team yeah, player. Yeah, my PowerPoint skills, legendary, according to all of my CVs. <laughs> although, yeah. although, although on that point, Mark, I'd, I'd, for me, this is just me speaking personally, I'd much prefer to skip the CV stage, bring me in for a PowerPoint presentation on, exactly. on myself and what I can bring to the table and feel way more comfortable in that. I think on that point, TJ, if we let's go to the next stage now. So you've sent them for their interview. I think that's another crucial part of this building a team, this interview stage. There's three people in a room, sometimes more. You're sat there. It's so stiff and stuffy and it's the same old questions that get asked. And I personally feel like they, they usually know who they want really early doors for whatever reasons that may be, usually just based off the vibe of the person in my, in, in, in my case. Yeah. Do you think there is work to be done around that interview process? And have you seen schools and headships and senior teams do things slightly differently in terms of how they interview. Mm -hmm. Going back to that team player book, they went out for coffee and picked up some laundry because he wanted to see how did the guy interact with the coffee, the, the person giving them their coffee? Did they say hi? Did they say good morning? Did they say thank you? Just when they were having the car drive together, what was that like? Was there a little bit of chat in there? Just, I, I know that's a book and I know that's an example. How realistic is it? I'm not sure, but just taking out that sort of stuffy environment situation for an interview have you actually heard of any candidates saying oh that was a bit of a different interview it's a good question no i think i i think it's very look obviously certain different questions get asked and obviously it depends on the head teacher what they're looking for but Overall, yeah, it's quite a general gist throughout the through the education recruitment process, isn't it? You get them to come in, you you show maybe a, a, you give them a tour of the school, and then they do a lesson observation, whether it be twenty five minutes, thirty minutes, forty five minutes, hour. Yeah. Every school is different, and then if, they, if that goes, they'll have an interview after. They'll ask them a couple of safeguarding questions: what's driving you to work with children, and where, where you want to go with education. It, it's a very basic. It's not basic. It's a very like simple process, isn't it? Um, it covers the bases. It, it covers the basis, but the problem is, right, how much do you really get to know someone from just 20 minutes and like a 40-minute lesson observation? Anything could happen in that lesson observation. I do genuinely feel, though, teachers at their best are at their best when they've got relationships with kids and they've built that relationship. So Absolutely. to come in and actually just teach a lesson to kids you don't actually know, how are you actually teaching them on an individual basis? How are you actually doing best by them on an individual basis? And again, the traditionalists would argue that that's the way it should be done, whereas I personally believe, and I'm sure there's a lot of educators that are actually coming to the 21st century, uh, do genuinely believe that like every child is an individual. So I think that process does need to change a little bit. But what's the alternative? I'm not so sure. But yeah, it's a difficult one because... It's, it's such a difficult process. I've interviewed people to work in my previous recruitment company and you've, you you get someone to come in and you think, yeah, they're, they're saying all the right things. And then two weeks in, you're like, what have I done? That's what I mean. I think you need to take them like skydiving, TJ, or something like that. Just change just change it up. Just change Sean it up. Sean costing really. schools even more money by having to book <laughs> planes for their interviews. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, what are you doing? No, just change it up. Bankrupt I've, them. I've, I've seen, I have seen, or I've heard of, sorry, another approach, which is kind of group-led. So there'll be group scenarios. So there may be a bunch of teachers that 
that may be going for a post or whatever, and they'll put them in the kind of team building scenarios or problem solving scenarios for a day, as well as the other things that the observations and things like that, but they put them into those scenarios. And I do think that is edging towards something that's a little bit more realistic because then you do see what people are really like. I think, and the, the reason why we have a podcast about teams is because obviously we're fascinated by them. And I think as soon as you put a bunch of people together in a group, who don't really know each other and ask them to do a thing. You see personalities come out pretty quickly. And I think that is a good way to recruit in my opinion. It's, a, it's an interesting one, Sean, because it's a practice in, in, in theater, the, the, the move away sometimes when you're able to at least the move away from the audition where one person walks into a room in front of a table of three people and starts doing their best Juliet and the workshop audition where you go this is a job where we're going to need to make something together so I need to see what you're like when you're making something with other people what role do you fulfill in the room what how do you adapt that kind of stuff where you where the only thing you need to know is when it comes down to it can you share your toys can you listen and all all of that so it's you're almost suggesting something that that the progressive theater companies where they're able to would do can i also just express my, my like obviously i get what you're saying sean look my, my only worry right and this is me coming from doing like six to seven years of education recruitment the, the big problem that we sometimes have in the way that we recruit right and this is not just in education but as a society in this country we sometimes are appointing people that we get on with and mm. unfortunately what ends up happening is obviously you've seen like the institute of education kind of statistics that came out or in terms of fame in in sort of senior leadership teams and mm. like, I think it's only 3% of head teachers in the UK are actually from a BAME background. I, I understand, I mean, we should never give a job to somebody that is just because they're, they're, they're from a different background to you. But the problem is that we have here is we ha- we go for people that we like and that we get on with, that we come from same backgrounds, not yeah. out of being biased because, not consciously anyway, it's a subconscious thing. Like you exactly. get on with people, you want to take them on. Unfortunately, what ends up happening is if you've got a senior leadership team of completely like similar individuals from similar backgrounds, you will only you will have blinders in the way that you are seeing like perspectives. You are never going to be able to see the whole perspective. So what you've got to be very careful when you're recruiting is not to have like people just from the similar background just because you get on with them. Yeah. Simply so to, to be reinforce what's already there for, because, because that feels safest or that feels most yeah. familiar. We've definitely we've definitely had guests on TJ who have mentioned that as well, and, and not always from a Bain point of view, but from like you said before, a kind of personality point of view where leaders are just employing themselves who are ten years younger or themselves ten years I ago. I see a or, lot of you in me. I see yeah. when I look at you, I see myself from five years ago. Is not necessarily a great hiring strategy, is it? <laughs> Absolutely. And like you said, TJ, there is no point having five Sean's trying to figure out a task because... Barely a point (laughs) having one Sean sometimes. Exactly. All you're doing is hiring yes men effectively. You want people just to agree with you, right? Actually, if you ever want things to improve, if you're happy staying where you are, then do what you want. But if you actually want things to improve and you want to evolve, then you need people with different perspectives to give you actually the like challenge ideas and have different narratives to to Mm. what you believe. It's how you grow. That's how you learn. It's about the growing 
process and you're never going to do that with people that are just going to say yes to you it takes a strong it takes a strong leader though tj we speak we speak about it all the time leadership within and its role within a team and it it really does take a yeah. strong leader to put your ego to one side and to have people on a regular basis say to you i'm not quite sure about that sean it, or- it sends my mind back to one of our earliest episodes on ray dalio and that kind of radical honesty and radical transparency yeah, absolutely. And you, you, you really need to have built up that culture um, and have the right people in that room if you're going to go down that route, because that, yeah, that can be a painful <laughs> process. But I think one that we, yeah, to we be, need to be called out is no fun and it shouldn't be fun. But to set up a situation where you're never going to be called out is not good team building and not good leadership. If listen, collaboration should be the absolute fundamental like backbone of leadership. Like no leader should be trying to do everything themselves. And I think like anyone that is doing that is not a leader. Let's just, let, I'm just going to put this in black and white, right? Anybody that thinks that they shouldn't be challenged is not a good leader because that means that they're not open to understanding people. And if you are not open to understanding people, then how the hell are you going to understand your consumer base? And so it's very important that you are open to ideas. And if you're a good leader, like you shouldn't really get challenged anyway. You should get like, it should be a part of the discussion. Do you know what I mean? You're going to have conflicts of interest and you're going to have different opinions on things, but that's fine. You collaborate, you come to solutions, you come to better ideas. Ultimately, if you're just like saying, no, I I don't like the way that you talk to me, and that's your kind of whole process as a leader, then you should not be in leadership, unfortunately. TJ, so one, one sort of last point I would say around that main kind of theme of recruiting and how schools recruit tj is um and i'm going to bring in a sports reference here because it's pretty i feel it's pretty relevant because we've, uh, we've not had many this, this one actually which we, is quite a surprise no we've not i've been good i've been good frank lampard's just recently been sacked by chelsea football club and roman abramovich <laughs> has a stay with me i'm going to tie it all in and roman abramovich has a way of every couple of years winning things and being successful but then sacking the manager and going again and that kind of business plan has actually worked it's been successful because Chelsea have trophies in their cabinet, which they didn't before Roman Abramovich. In education and in these schools, is, is <laughs> can that high turnover actually still be successful or is high turnover in a school usually a bad thing? It's a really good question. Firstly, can I just say I'm a Chelsea fan? So Frank Lampard getting <laughs> sacked, was it, it sucked, right? He was a hero. So for me, I'm, I lost respect for Abramovich for doing that. I knew that was a reason why I brought you on a podcast. Yeah, Sean, <laughs> Sean trying to place himself as the Frank Lampard of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me the Abramovich, by the way. <laughs> Are you trying to say you're getting rid of Sean? <laughs> Sorry, Sean, you're gone. So turnover is good. Keeps it fresh. I'll, I'll happily substitute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a difficult one because look there's times where it has worked and it hasn't worked right? i wouldn't say it has worked really because it, it, yes we've won a few things and we had a really successful period at a point but actually with anything like stability is in longevity and i think mm. we're like for me if you are if you don't have a resilient model Right, where you can adapt to the times, then you're never going to have anything sustainable to grow into the future. And we only need to look at the last three years of what Chelsea have been doing. It hasn't been like like that good, has it, really? Let's, be, let's face it, Man City, Liverpool, even Man United this year were absolutely thrown us in, like 
just yeah they, they're walking all over us and ultimately I think what would have been really good is if they kept Frank Lampard for another three to four years five years and actually built a team of the future and I think what the problem in sometimes in education is it's got the high stakes accountability the same as football managers do but football managers earn seven eight figures right and, yeah and, exactly. and, and it's completely different but it shouldn't be like that you should give you should give autonomy and trust to your leadership if you've appointed them give them time to settle in and actually do what they've got the vision you can't make enough changes and follow them through in 12 to 24 months we only need to look at the last 20 years as the at the education secretary they've come in every 18 to 24 months and cocked up the education system even more you, you need stability you need somebody that's going to come in and just stay there yeah. finland finland do this really well like finland actually have, have built a whole model where it's it, education is almost a separate entity and education is emphasized on and the head teachers work collaboratively with other head teachers and help push schools forward opposed to just like it's a competition it, it, yeah. Finland is that based on one of your episodes TJ is that something um, we can point we can probably do that afterwards but we'll point to to that episode in the show notes if that's all right. <laughs> yeah, sure. Perjo hasn't come out yet, but I've had Perjo on. I've had um, a guy called Kasper on from Denmark. They're doing amazing things, mate. Like they don't do any exams until they're 17. And the only reason they do that is because they have to do it for the world ranking, like education exams. And even then they get the highest exams. That's mm. the first exams they do is, uh, and, they, and they get the highest results. Wow. It's just, I think it's, they, they don't have any exams. It's all about collaboration and finding a kid's niche and finding their, like what they're good at and helping them excel in it. Um, it's, it's interesting you say that because I think about that, that flush of creative thinking and education that came when the free schools concept was floated and ultimately in the most part all of those free schools ended up just being uh kind of vehicles to reinforce this slightly more classical education model <laughs> or just to to make it almost semi-profit making which is a weird which is a weird thing when at that point you have an opportunity to to look structurally at how we yeah. do education the leeway was given and in, in and not really taken when I models mean, like Finland or other places with alternative education really can make influence I wanted to ask like when there is that opportunity for creativity and that opportunity for kind of radical pedagogy hmm. having said like this stability needs to be there whose responsibility do you think within the school environment it is to moderate or mediate that that innovation is it about heads creating a culture where innovation is the stability or is it about heads or leaders tempering it where would you put that I think what, one of the big problems that we have here in the UK in our education system is that we're so bloody worried about failing. And actually, mm. we learn our biggest like life lessons when we make mistakes. Uh, I think, like, why not try something? Ofsted, firstly, just needs to go. Like, the whole stakes accountability. If Ofsted are going to be there, they need to be in a more supportive capacity. So mm. they need to be ex-educators or something that know how the school system works. And they go in and actually, if the school is failing or if they are, they do need improvement, then they come up with a three-month plan of what they should yeah. be implementing. And it's it's a collaborative approach. It's, it's, to, not pun it's not punitive, it's developmental. Yeah, it's developmental, exactly. So it's not just labelling them as a judge would do. It's actually coming up with plans, coming up with ideas of how you can make it happen. And then maybe asking somebody with a school down the road that's outstanding, like to bring in a practitioner that is really good at a particular part of implementing strategy in a school and getting them to do that and coming into that school mm. for three months and helping them with it. It should be a far more collaborative approach. Who's accountable? I think, firstly, educators should just be given more autonomy and trust because they are obviously professionals. You should have got into education because you want to make a difference to kids. And if you're spending that much time with your kids you should know them better than anybody else i'm not saying that they shouldn't be open to learning and training and i think that should be an absolute fundamental part of education but i, I think what really happens is 
I, I often worry. I know there is teaching and learning involved, but obviously you do your PGCE and then you just sink or swim very kind of attitude in education where it should always be CPD. I think, I know schools do it, so it's probably a little bit unfair for me to say that, but I think teachers should be given more autonomy. Schools and head teachers should hold each other accountable opposed to just league tables and Ofsted because we do, we do need accountability, but I think we should have more freedom to be able to do what's best for our kids than, than just what everybody else has to do and just tick those boxes. Yeah, there's, there is, and there is a way to make that work, I would say. But we have a question that we ask everybody. We really believe that the kind of leader we are and the team member we are is informed by the kind of teams we've been on and the the leaders we've experienced. And we boil that down to the statement that coaches make coaches. So we like to ask our guests who in your kind of team journey has informed you the most about the kind of leader or the kind of team member or collaborator that you are. Who's the coach that made you? That's a really good question. It's hard because every time I've worked for someone, I've had to do it their way. And actually, it's really weird because it, I'm probably going to be completely different to what other people say, but I've actually learned more about the kind of manager and coach I want to be from like actually not being in a team. You are not the only person. We've had a few, we've had a few people who've called out the dodgy ones. Go for it. Yeah, it's mental because I've always had to do things in a certain way and it's been very target-driven, KPI-driven, and it's always go get money, duh. Whereas if I was in my previous company trying to ask my director if I wanted to do, if I could do a podcast, he'd be like, absolutely not. You're, you need your bum on the seat making us money. And so I've actually learned about the kind of person I want to be in. And through networking over the last like 14 months and meeting people, meeting some amazing educators, I've learned a lot just from meeting some of the most amazing head teachers and mm. senior leaders. And it's very much empowering staff and it's like giving them autonomy, giving them trust let them go with it so yeah it's a difficult one i don't know i think i've learned more from people i've networked in the last year than i have from previous coaches or maybe managers i've had before yeah amazing and and then the final thing that we ask because we are near and wrapping up time is there anything that you want to plug is there anything you want to put the listeners onto? we've mentioned your podcast uh, loads so definitely <laughs> let's get that in but if there's anything else as well that you want to point people towards now's the time to tell them about it yeah awesome obviously the teacher's point of view podcast is it's been on a journey in terms of where education is and why it needs to evolve we're in the 21st century and we're still using an education system built around a model that was very much after world war ii um, yeah. and it was based on the industrial revolution on factories but we've had four this is a fourth industrial revolution now so we need to make sure that we are preparing children for world for the world after school in, in the next 10 to 15 years time let's teach them how to become better people like yeah. come from empathy from love and actually let's find the in, like niche and inspire them it's that's what the podcast is all about so yeah. please check it out the, the second thing i'd love to share is the pupil entrepreneur program competition if anybody doesn't know about it please check it out but we're giving a child an opportunity to kind of win a two thousand pound investment but alongside that oh, sorry for a business plan that they if, if they're successful will invest two thousand pound in that business plan but there'll be six months worth of coaching emotional intelligence coaching presentation sales there's going to be loads of like financial planning i mean it's just going to be it's going to be great. And is that for be, secondary age primary amazing. and secondary amazing yeah and then we'll launch the business we'll build a following and yeah it's really exciting times so if you've got any children that are, are, are ambitious again i'm trying to stress though we don't want to just give it to anyone that's like a high academic performer like we want to give it to people that need an opportunity in life so please yeah. if you've got anyone that needs a break please again get, get coming back coming back to that idea of motivation being more important than where you're at right now whether that's money or whether that's grades like catering to that that drive as a way of working i love it yeah absolutely 
TJ, it has been a blast. It has been, it has flown by, and the insight has not disappointed. But you've paid off my desire to have a, a, a recruiter on. So thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate it. And I really appreciate you guys uh, bringing me on. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Mark. TJ, thank you so much. That was excellent. Uh, a great way to start a Saturday morning for, for myself, Mark. And yes, you're doing some excellent work. And yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd recommend everyone to go listen to the podcast. Go follow TJ on LinkedIn. And yeah, go check him out. Yeah, thank you so much, TJ. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. That was TJ Jetler talking to us from uh, his home in London to our homes in London uh, about well about everything in terms of how to how to fix education, <laughs> how to uh, how how to find the right people for the right roles, and how to uh, not be uh, shifty with it. Like that that um, that angle of of kind of recruitment agents being a little underhanded or a little casual in their uh, sense of what they're doing is interesting. And since we recorded the podcast, um, TJ has, has removed recruitment from the name of his business. So they are an, an education consultancy now, which is exciting for him. Yeah, I, I appreciated his kind of openness around, you know, his his background and career in terms of where he has worked in, in places or for people where it is that numbers game. Um, and I think we have to be frank and say yeah. that, you know, in multiple different industries, um, things are about numbers and things are about money. And I just think, unfortunately, um, you know, not unfortunately, but I just think education can't be one of those. Yeah. Uh, it just can't be it's very different it's a very different beast and you know it is about the people that are in the, that building because ultimately they are building the young people um of of our future uh you know who are gonna gonna be serving us as older people in multiple different <laughs> ways in their careers uh, yeah you and know, you want and them to have some values and if you've got your your no i podcast bingo card uh, and you had simon sinek on it you can tick that off and maybe there's a prize in it because obviously he comes up again and it feels like that journey that tj uh, experienced himself of, of working out what was important to him and his why is something that he's using as a tool in matching those people with the kind of the roles and and that that moving away from uh, kind of the numbers game and into like that specific number of what's my conversion rate like how many of the people am I sending are the ones that get chosen becomes huge because then it's about directing your attention onto the qualities of people and the qualities of post and and it's not just kind of luck and stats it's it's a little bit of insight it's a little bit of uh a little more collaborative definitely especially like like we said um before with regards to collaboration you know it's clear that he's built relationships with uh, a lot of senior leaders uh, across multiple schools and that those relationships are paying off you know for for the school as well as for tj um you know and and as i said he's now built a podcast where you know he's getting some some real top top people in education we've never we've never been afraid of bigging up other people's podcasts like we are we are a, a small and plucky podcast 
podcast with some incredible guests. TJ, uh, focusing on the education field, has got some some real heavy hitters. And I know that some recent episodes, you would recommend the uh, Catherine Bubble Sing episode that has come out quite recently. Um, I think uh, from its description... Catherine and I might disagree with each other on our priorities, but I know you loved you loved the, a, a good disciplinarian when it comes to uh, when it comes to education because that's what worked for you. Well, I mean, I'm not too sure about that. If, if, if any of my teachers were to listen, to, were to uh, be listening to this, I, I, I would, uh, I'd be a liar. To be fair, no. Coaches make coaches, Sean. No, indeed, no. Um, I was, I was, I was, I was difficult at school because I thought I knew everything, um, you know. And if there were any kind of weak links within the staff cohort, I very much uh, knew who they were and how to kind of work my way around them. Um, and the ones who weren't like that, uh, the ones who did kind of have quite quite uh, a tough teaching style, were the ones that I seemingly respected more um, in my teenage years. Um, and, you know, I think that subjects is, is a big part of it as well. You know, you need to find your interest, you need to find your why. And if there are lessons there that, you know, you're, you're not particularly interested in, then I think it's always going to be harder for the, the teacher to kind of engage you. Um, and that's what's really difficult about and intangible about, you know, being in education compared to other career paths you know it's really hard to engage a teenager in something that they don't feel value value in um but and honestly i do believe it's horses for courses that there are environments uh, or there's the opportunity for so many different teaching environments like there's a there's a, a new school reasonably new school in east london uh called the complete works that is a uh specialist school for students who have not fit in other educational environments that focuses on drama and in particularly on Shakespeare to to draw something out of those students for some people that's going to be a brilliant environment for others it's going to be an absolute nightmare uh, like learning what you want your place to be is a really valuable one for school leaders I guess and then and then committing to that yeah and I think that's what um you know as as we spend more time speaking about another podcast um I think in in TJ's episode with with Catherine um you know she was very clear about what the school was and has said multiple people have come by and visited and not liked it and others have loved it or others have come back two or three times not liked it and on the fourth occasion got it but she's not moving out of her lane she's sticking to her lane and her path and what her school is and she's owning that and i think that's super important absolutely there's a like where we would where we would come back to always is the value and importance of consistency and if you like you've got a tin of beans it says there are beans in this tin and you open it up and there are beans in it great job done (laughs) that's what i'll get two cans please yeah uh, you know, if you've got a school and you say we are a school that's not messing about on discipline, we are a school that believes that uh, knowledge is the most important thing, and we're going to teach you with that in mind, and we're going to assess you with that in mind. Uh, like time will tell whether it's the the best working method, but that's like that's what you're getting. You get what it says on the tin. 
exactly. And I think we got, we definitely got that from TJ. Um, he was great value and yeah. uh, we wish him all the best in, in, in his podcast and, and with his business. Yeah. Uh, so we are very nearly at the end of this series and we're, we're quite excited to say we got a little we went fishing for guests and we've we've actually held on to an episode to to put out as our 40th because it was uh such a such a great and insightful chat so our 40th episode is going to be brilliant our 39th will be excellent too but we're we're very very excited for what we get to share with you for our 40th uh so make sure you stay tuned in that um as always uh at the end of every 10 we take a little bit of a break and have a little bit of a reflection and have a little dig in see if we can get some guests to do that we need to know how you guys think we're doing uh so please do put your reviews on uh itunes and google and wherever that you get it and we read them and we get excited by them we've had a number of five stars but like if you've got time to write a little review that's really really wicked um or email us mark or sean at no i podcast or uh reach out on instagram or twitter at no i podcast or uh, drop us a line on linkedin where you can find links to the episodes as well as uh, some of the conversations we've had with our previous guests and you can get involved in those um but yeah let us let us know how you think we're doing and what you want to hear more of uh, and who you want to hear from because we're getting close to that point where we have a little have a little state state of the podcast uh conversation and the more info we've got the better um all that's left though for this episode is to say goodbye from sean uh goodbye guys and go bucks <laughs> and goodbye from me goodbye and i think also go bucks goodbye you must be like the wolf pack teamwork yes